0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Beyond the Arc podcast. Um, today, we have a special guest on the episode. We have Jack Borman, the editor of Canis is. How are you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been all at the Timberwolves games this year. So, um, you know, we had, had to bring you on to talk uh, Timberwolves, you know, with them having such a good start um, early this year. I mean, coming to the year, was this kind of – did you have any expectation that this would happen?
1: Yeah, I, I had the team pegged to go 52 and 30. I thought they'd be the second best team in the West behind the Nuggets. Um, and, and largely, I thought that, that was because of uh, their defensive prospects. And, and we've seen that certainly play out so far this season. Um, and, and I think what I was most encouraged by was that the team really found, uh, you know, a good you know rhythm defensively and found lineups that, that really work defensively, especially with um, having Edwards, McDaniels, Towns, and, and Rudy Gobert uh, in the lineups. I mean, if you look at the, those lineups, once Carl Anthony Towns returned last season, their half-court defensive rating was uh, was fantastic. Um, again, they, they played really, really well in the playoffs, played the Nuggets very tough. Um, and you look at the, like, the quality of shots that um, they're able to force Denver into taking in that playoff series. Um, you know, Denver took a ton of tough shots in that series. And, and you go back and watch some of those fourth-quarters that were the difference in the game was just Jamal Murray making these crazy shots and Nikhil Alexander Walker's face. Um, And so that certainly gave me some hope coming into this season. And then um, you you think about uh, replacing some of Jordan McLaughlin's minutes with shake Milton, who's six, five has a seven foot wingspan. Um, and then being able to have pretty much one of, of Anthony Edwards, Nikhil Alexander Walker and Jade McDaniels on the floor at all times. Um, you know, it's just a lot of length and, and on ball perimeter talent that, that this team has. And then, um, you know, obviously, you know, being boots on the ground here, I was very well aware that Rudy Gobert was nowhere near 100% for pretty much the entirety of last season, and, and now he's fully healthy. And and we're certainly seeing the impact of of what a fully healthy and mobile um, Gobert can do, not just in the paint and at the rim, but but certainly contesting um, jump shots as well, which he's been very good at so far this season. So So for me, everything started on the defensive end of the floor, and then it was just, you know, if they figure out the offense, great. If they don't, you know, hopefully they still have a really – really rock solid defense that can kind of carry them. And, you know, I think they're starting to figure some things out offensively, but but certainly it's all been on the defensive end of the floor.
0: Yeah, I mean, this team got kind of got put in the limelight after the, like the like in terms of mainstream, just like after the Rudy Gobert trade. And obviously, you know, last year, like you said, um, he wasn't 100%. But I don't think that's something that completely caught on with um, people. They kind of just see Gobert. Because Gobert, you know, offensively, you know, he looks a little clumsy at times. People think, oh, this guy, you know. Um, you know, he's not that good, just like, like from a casual fan's perspective. Um, what is it that you see that he brings that people might not really, you know, see like right away at the forefront? I th- offensively? Uh, defensively, sorry, or either either. And honestly, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, starting defensively, I think the biggest thing is communication, right? And, you know, when you look at what Rudy Gobert was able to do with the Jazz and, and how good those defenses were, I mean, the biggest thing that they had was continuity, right? So he was he was playing with the Royce O'Neills, the Bojan Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, um, you know Mike Conley, all these guys for for years, and um, and you get really comfortable and you learn how to play with one another, and you and all those guys kind of know, okay, I need to stay solid here. Or this is when I can hand a guy off to Rudy, or I know where Rudy's going to be if I'm forcing a guy this way, or I force him in the middle. All these types of things um, are, are things that Rudy Gobert really excels at. Is He's so good at communicating on the backside of the defense and understands exactly when, um, you know, exactly when he needs to get involved versus when he can kind of trust the people in front of him uh, to continue to make plays. And and we're seeing that so far. I mean, you know, we've seen Jaden McDaniels and Nikhil Alexander Walker and Anthony Edwards play really physical uh, defense at the point of attack, knowing that they have Gobert back there. And then when you see some of the bigger wings that have been on, you know, Nas Reed or Carl Anthony Towns um, that get involved in, in pick and roll. You see that uh, Gobert has, you know, been more than willing to, you know, if he's guarding a guy in the short corner um, to be able to tag that roller and cover for them and, and and X out on the backside, which is what the Timberwolves have been really, really good at this year. So it's a lot of those little things that um, I don't really think that people would would realize if they're watching a game um, and, and how much communication goes into it with those types of things. Um, and then obviously it's just been contesting shots without fouling i mean he's that's been the biggest thing for me is is you know, everything else leads up to eventually when someone shoots or turns it over and um and how many shots a game he's contesting uh, especially in the short mid-range area has been has been pretty remarkable um so i'd say it's it's really just the communication the placement um with with everyone else and then and then just the playmaking the can the shot contesting blocking shots tipping passes um all those things that, that go into it from, you know, and everything you want from an anchor big.
0: Yeah, I'm mean, going back to Gobert on the Jazz. I mean, that Jazz team, like their defensive rating-wise in the regular season, they were, you know, a really solid defense. And you look at the, t- the defensive talent they had around Gobert. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, Conley, you know, he's an all-right defender. He's a little bit on the small side. But then you're looking at, like, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingos, Bojan Bogdanovic. I mean, those guys aren't, you know, close to the level of defenders that the Wolves have. So now you're bringing in a Jaden McDaniels, uh Anthony Edwards, Nikhil Alexander Walker. I mean, Mike Conley, you know, he's a pretty solid point of attack guy um, from just other length off the bench. And you can see why this defense, I mean, number one defensive rating, I mean, that's that's been kind of the thing with the the Wolves uh, The uh, most of this year. Uh, talking about their team defense as a whole, like, so uh, at the moment, um, if you look at opponent three-point shooting, I believe teams are shooting 31% from three against them, um, which is, you know, the lowest mark in the entire NBA. Do you think there's some bound to some sort of regression um with that number?
1: I certainly think so. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing with with the Timberwolves defense right now is again is is they're just flying around and contesting shots. And I think the more that you can contest shots, the, you know, the better chance you're gonna have of forcing a lower percentage. Certainly 31% is extremely low. Um, I don't know what the out the top of my head what the lowest was last season or what the lowest has been the last few seasons for reference. I'd imagine it's in the thirty high thirty-threes, low thirty-fours, something like that. But um, you know, certainly I think that um, you know, you'll see you'll see teams um, you know, probably create more corner three point shots against against the Timberwolves when they're playing in a deep drop and you know they attack either Reed or um or Carl Anthony Towns and pick and roll um and and, and kind of get to more small, small pick and roll actions or pick and roll actions with a four as the roller um to try to force Gobert um into tag the roller um and kind of get to the back side of the defense before the Timberwolves can rotate and i think that that's something that um they'll probably see more of you know i think you know i don't know again off the top of my head what the shooting numbers are in terms of uncontested threes but i imagine um teams are not shooting very well on uncontested threes against the Timberwolves because they've certainly certainly given up their fair share of wide open threes whether it's in the in the corner in the slot and um you know i think that's certainly part of it but but again um i think most of that has to do with contesting contesting really tough shots and and the timberwolves really haven't allowed that many three-pointers to be taken either they've they've really done a good job of running uh shooters off the line and forcing them into in, you know into more mid-range shots where they're able to you know use their length a little bit more effectively to to force people into into taking shots because the passing lanes aren't there with with how much length the wolves can put out on the floor so um i think it's kind of a kind of a combination of all those things. But um, I'd certainly think that there's going to be some progression to, you know, to more of the league average shooting mean around that, you know, 35, 36% as a team mark.
0: Yeah. uh, So looking at three-point opponent shooting this year, um, the Wolves are number one at 31.3%. The low mark last year was 33.9 from the Pelicans. And you're looking at the Wolves opponent three-point shooting last season, it was a top, you know, it was a top 10 mark in terms of, um you know, a lot you know 30 36.9 of opponent three-pointers are going in um so yeah maybe you know a little more you know continuity with that defense um you know bigger emphasis on you know flying out on shooters um, i want to talk about cat a little bit because he, he does kind of feel like the odd man out especially on the defensive end just because you have all these you know lengthy athletic wings and size i mean cat has size obviously but um you know he, he's definitely not as athletic as jaden mcdaniel's flying on the perimeter Uh, what have you made of him defensively and do you think it's going to work just moving forward?
1: I certainly think it will. Um, This is by far the best defensive start to any season I've seen from Carl Anthony Towns and Um, A lot of that has to do with his discipline, honestly. Like you look at Carlton Town's personal fouls per game. I think at this point, I'd probably think 60% of them are offensive fouls right now, whether those are moving screens or or fouls when he's driving or or trying to post up. Um, And the reason for it is because he's doing a really good job of kind of staying neutral and not displacing players in the drive. Um, And he's been staying down on, you know, on pump fakes too, which has been important. And no, we saw that, well, last season that he had a really tough time staying down on on shooters and, and chasing guys around, it didn't really work, but um, but the Timberwolves have done a really effective job of, of switching, uh, especially on shooters and granted they haven't played a lot of teams that have, you know, big shooters like you think of the Raptors you don't think of that I mean you think of the heat the heat were down so many rotation players. Um, you know, the Nuggets again have Michael Porter Jr., but again, they had Carl guarding Jokic. Um, so they haven't really run into a situation like that. So it'll be interesting, you know, when they play a team like Phoenix, um, who's got Watanabe, who could play the four and feasibly guard Cat. Um, but I think that, you know, when you're able to effectively switch and communicate in um, force teams into more isolation situations, um, it's easier for a guy like Carl to stay in front of someone than, you know, when he's trying to run through screens and all that stuff. So I think that, that's what the Timberwolves have done a good job of. They're, they're trying to, you know, minimize all their big guys running through screens as much as possible. Um, you know, when the, when screens come up, they'll switch them. Um, you've also seen Carl guard a lot of fives so far early this season. That was something that really worked in that playoff series um, against the Nuggets last season, putting him on Jokic and letting Gobert kind of be this free safety, if you will. Um, on the backside of the defense. And that's something that they've continued to do when, um, you know, when Carl and Rudy share the floor together. And then they've played different defensive coverages when Carl's been at the five. So Carl is, is certainly much more comfortable playing, you know, higher up closer to level the screen rather than in a deep drop um, just because he's a little, you know, slower of feet. And when he's backpedaling, it's kind of harder for him to make plays. It's kind of easier for him to make plays going forward than going backwards, if that makes sense. Um, and so that's something that they've deployed as well um, and, and really try to insulate Carl as best they can with perimeter defenders. So they've played Carl a lot with um, with guys like Anderson and McDaniels and uh, Nikhil and Walker, um, especially those guys have, have been, uh, you know, guys have shared the floor with Carl. And so I think when you're able to kind of insulate him with length, switchable guys, you're able to prevent, uh, <laughs> prevent. Carl from having these matchups where he's you know, kind of stuck on an Islander has to run through a bunch of screens. So um, it'll be, it'll be an interesting thing to see evolve as we, as we go on. But, you know, again, the thing with, with Carl and Rudy is both of them have been really, really good at contesting shots without fouling, and then uh, and then cleaning up misses on the inside too is something that um, I think has been pretty underrated from the two of those guys is they've done a really good job of helping each other when one, uh, when one contests, the other one crashes the glass hard to to rebound, which is a key part of why they're you know top six, top seven in defensive rebounding right now.
0: Yeah, action right now they, in defensive re- rebounding. They're they're second uh, after the after Boston, and they're basically tied. I mean, Boston's thirty eight point three rebounds per game, and uh, Minnesota's thirty eight flat. Um, so yeah, I think that was an issue last year, just like. I don't know why you you would think with such a, a such a, a team with so much length that they would be a little bit better defensive rebounding wise last year. But you know last year that was an area a little bit of an area concern for them. Um, they were you know they are they were 18th, which is you know you're playing they didn't play double big most of the year. But you know you have Rudy Gobert, you probably expect your team to be a little bit better um, on that front. So it's good to see you know that they've um, kind of shored that up a little bit. Uh, what about cat on um, if we're switching a little bit to offense? What about cat on the offensive end? Because like you said, you know. Um, he hasn't had the the best start in terms of just like offensive fouls driving using you know kind of sticking out his his arm a little bit um kind of hooking guys um where do you kind of see tat needs to improve on on offense so so far this year
1: yeah i think for carl everything starts as three-point shooting um and you know he's he's already back up to 30.8 percent after you know living in the teens and in low 20s for for most of the first part of, of this season and obviously um, I believe he shot four or five uh, last night against the Pelicans, which, which is you know a huge thing for him, but, you know, he's really able to get every other part of his game going when he's making, you know, spot up three point shots. And um, and I think we saw a little bit of Carl playing in the corner last night when, when Ant and Gobert were able to run some of that spread pick and roll. Um, Ant was able to make skip passes to Towns in the corner a couple of times for wide open threes. And that's something that I think you'll continue to see more of, you know, I think Chris Finch, doesn't ever really want to relegate Carlton Towns to the corner because there's so much that he can do offensively. But you know, in those you know 18, 19, 20 minutes a game, uh, where where Gobert is playing there, and you're not running an action for Carl atop at the, the key or at the nail, um, wherever you know, it's just going to be better if he can space the floor as much as he can because he's going to open up so much for his teammates. And um, so that that's been a big thing. And then you know, once he starts making three point shots, you see that you know defenders are closing out harder to him it's easier for him to then drive and whether it's try to hit Gobert in the short corner for a you know one dribble dunk or or kick to the opposite corner like carl can make all these different types of passes once he's on the move um but the thing for him is is i think the timberwolves are really taking an inside out approach with carl anthony towns right now in terms of trying to get him going inside before outside whereas i think they should do the inverse of that because um you know starting out with better spacing uh to begin with i think is 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 easier um and carl's a better three-point shooter he's not gonna foul anyone when he's spotting up um and then the other thing too is that you know i think his composure uh just hasn't been good i think that he's been frustrated with how many shots that he's been missing and i think he's tried to put the ball on the deck and you know understandably like you're not making three-point shots you know the old um you no know, dodge if you're not making shots move it inside try to you know take a step in and shoot or, or try to drive or post up or whatever um and uh i think he's just been irritated and um defenders have been able to get really physical with him something that chris finch said in his post-game press conference last night was you know with with all these fouls that he's getting where carl is kind of using you know the under hook that you'd see from a defensive end um you know coming around the edge um you know chris finch is Kind of made the argument that Carl has been displaced uh, before, you know that there's contact before he makes that hook movement. Um, but either way, like that's just something that has to get coached out of him. Whether it's himself taking it, take it upon himself to look at the film and be like, all right, I have to just stop doing this because every time I do it, it's going to be a foul, or the coaching staff really has to just hammer it into him. And and whether he's capable of you know receiving that information and, and putting it out on the floor, I, I I don't know at this point because it's been you know, m- multiple three, four years of, of this type of stuff um, that he hasn't been able to get rid of in his game. And, um, you know, I think that he's more likely to commit offensive fouls when defenders are going to get more physical with him and, and he doesn't have as much space to work with when he's playing with Gobert at the five, I think you'll see him drive more when cats at the five. I mean, that, that was what escalated his game to an NBA level two seasons ago when, you know, he was the most efficient driving big that wasn't named Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, And this year, he's, you know, last year and this year, he just hasn't had the space to do it with Gobert on the floor. And so I think the more that he can just space out and take three-point shots with Gobert on the floor and, you know, kind of let the gravity that his shooting creates, you know, unlock some easier offense for other people um, and then really allow him to be that number one scoring option when he's at the five. We saw a lot of that in the preseason. It worked really well. Um, That's part of the reason why the Timberwolves blew out all these teams in the preseason um and so hopefully we kind of get back to that a little bit I think that that Finchie is is forced the issue with trying to get Carl involved inside a little too much and and trying to you know come come back with a game plan more like last night where you can really get him going as a shooter first I think is the the way to go
0: yeah I just feel like I know Towns you know he he has the title of uh or you know one, one of the guys that's you know best big man shooter ever um but I feel like his game he's more inclined to be a driver than a shooter um, like he's looking a lot more to, you know, get, when he gets a kick out, pump fake, drive to his right. I mean, he, that's kind of just his game. He's not really like a natural, like, come off a screen, I'm going to fire right away. Um, I don't know, to me, I, I kind of want to see Cap playing those second units more as as the five. Um, and I actually really like Nas Reed at the four um, with that starting group because I think Nas Reed, you don't really need to run direct offense for him, um, for him to get involved. Like he's he's going to get involved, whether it be catch. He's a little bit more of a willing catch and shoot three um, point threat. Uh, he moves off the ball a lot quicker. I think he makes a lot quicker decisions. Um, he just doesn't need as much, you know, he doesn't need a lot of time with the ball to make, make something happen. He'll get downhill a lot quicker than cat
1: as well. So Probably. I kind of,
0: yeah, I kind of like his. Yeah. Threat. I
1: mean, I mean, I mean that lineup with, with Anderson reading Gobert has been a plus 15.4 net rating in 143 minutes. Um, so, or 143 possessions. So it's been, it's been fantastic. And I think the biggest thing for towns has just been, if you're, even remotely open beyond the arc and you, you know, catch a pass, shoot it. And, and we saw more of that last night. And, and I think that that's going to be really important.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to pivot to, we haven't even talked about Ant yet. We have, I don't think we've even mentioned his, his name at all so far in this podcast, uh, but obviously he's kind of, you know, the focal point of everything. He's kind of had, he's also had some, you know, really standout games. Um, what would you like from, from Ant to start, start this year off?
1: Um, for the most part, I've really liked his passing. Um, if you mean if you just go look at all these box scores, I think Ant's been the leading assister in all but one game so far this season. Um, and and I think last night was was really a good turning point for him. And that I think we're starting to see the game slow down for him in, in a way that he's able to manipulate the defense, um, you know, with his eyes and and with where he dribbles the ball initially, knowing, hey, I'm gonna dribble here, knowing this is how the defense is gonna react, and then I'm gonna hit a a jump skip or, or a one-handed skip to the opposite corner. And we saw that plenty last night. So six of his eight assists last night were, were three point shots. Um, and I think five of those six were in the corner, um, which is a really important development for his game. And I think that, you know, he, he obviously can impact the game as a scorer. We all know that we've seen what he can do in the playoffs, but, but the more that he can use the attention that that he draws to, to unlock um, you know more opportunities for his teammates. The tougher this team is going to be to guard, and and I think Mike Conley deserves a lot of a lot of credit for that. You know, I've talked to people inside the Timberwolves organization that that have said that you know getting Mike Conley around Anthony Edwards is like the best possible thing for him, and that you know Mike Conley is just um, a consummate professional, um, all time great veteran, you know, voice and, and leader in the locker room who who's done a lot to help. You know, and think the game better, and um, and and gain a much better understanding of how he can fully weaponize his talents to just destroy defenses. And um, and so we've seen that from him. We've seen that from him. Um, he's shot the ball extremely well from from three, which has been really important um, because obviously, you know, the more that that he's able to knock down catch and shoot shots, the more people are going to want to close out to him, and then he can kind of get downhill and start breaking down the defense that way, either as a scorer or as a playmaker um i think the one big area for for ant that he's got to clean up um from from my view is his mid-range game and that um you know he's been taking a lot of you know out of rhythm mid-range shots where you know he he gets a screen and pick and roll with gobert and kind of wants to do the thing where he's got a defender on his back where he just kind of waits for the defender to catch up and then kind of you know prods in the lane before taking a contested little you know 12 foot step back jumper and um, I think he's just got to go he's got to make quicker decisions um, in the pick and roll whether it's to throw a lob to go bare just you know pull up in rhythm when it's an open shot as opposed to waiting for the defender to catch up and and take these contested you know mid-range shots that he's not shooting a good percentage on you know if you if you pull up synergy and you look at you know all the clips of his his shots out of pick and roll you know you'll see that more often than not when he's taking he's in rhythm jumper of you know, three feet, four feet inside the three-point line from kind of that nail area or the free throw line extended that he's shot the ball really, really well. Um, I think the Timberwolves are making a concerted effort to kind of grow his post-up game in that mid-post area where he's kind of had a defender on his back and taken a turnaround shot off the glass, kind of Jordan-esque. And we've seen a couple of those go down, which has been um, cool to see. But, but again, I, I think like, you kind of need to give the Timberwolves some leeway there in terms of, you know, we're trying to help this guy grow in, in game settings. And, you know, you got to live with some of those bad shots, but at the same time, you know, we saw last night against the Pelicans, he turned down a lot of those shots for either, you know, step back three point shots that were open, um, you know, or passing the ball to a teammate and relocating and getting it back and those types of things. So I think the more that he can kind of recognize and stop himself before he takes some of those bad shots to, to help get better ones. I think the more, you know, lethal he'll be. Um, And and his game just really, the way it's grown kind of as a scorer first and then really developing the playmaking at a, at a really high rate. um, Thanks to the help of one of the leagues, um, you know, best veteran point guards reminds me a lot of what Devin Booker went through. um, You know, once Chris Paul got there and he got to learn from Chris Paul and and how he can fully maximize the impact that he can make on a, on a defense, which has been really cool to see.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that point you made about how Mike Conley's kind of helped Ant out. I think, you know, if you follow Mike Conley's career, you might, you know, you might you might be able to assume that. But like a lot of fans probably don't think about, they're thinking about it more in terms of like the on-court, um, how that's helping Ant. But like off-court, just like thinking the game differently, like you said, I mean, you definitely have seen that growth since uh, Conleys have arrived. I mean, you know, we're only seven games into the season so far, but um, Ant's averaging 5.3 assists, which is, I mean, almost pretty much a full assist above um every you know his his career high um in terms of like a per a per year basis and, and you look at it every year he's basically took a step up like a full assist full assist full assist um, and i still think you know there's a lot of room to grow for him as a playmaker too i mean sometimes um i think he does predetermine his reads a little bit um, for sure that that definitely happens but you know he's, he's still only you know 22 years old so <laughs> a lot a lot of room to grow and you know the, this team's gonna have some pretty lofty expectations being for especially with this you know, kind and of he, start and he
1: hasn't even fully figured out how to use Rudy Gobert no, uh, yeah. as a as a rim lob threat in, in standard pick and roll games. So, I think you know it certainly could get up to seven to seven eight once he he really you know figures that out.
0: Yeah, because the defense have to shift has to shift so much towards them like off a of pick and roll. I mean, I, I I do you remember that lob that lob pass he had to Gobert? He kind of like threw it like what was even like looking like kind of like blindly through it. It was like earlier in I don't know if it was preseason or like early this season. I don't know if you remember. It was preseason. Game. Yeah. It was a preseason. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think everyone saw that one it was like, Oh shoot. Like he's, he's and then he, he threw another, pick. he yeah. threw
1: another really good one against, I think it was against a zone um against the jazz, um which was, which was really cool where Gobert was kind of in that short corner against a two, three and, and Rudy just kind of looked at him and he just threw it. And it was, maybe six inches over the hand of, of, um, of the, the jazz center that was down there in the middle of that zone, but he's getting better. Um, I think it just has to come in more traditional settings and that pick and roll and, um, and he'll get even better with that. Hopefully as the season goes on, because he's shown a lot of growth already early in the season compared to last season. Um, so. Yeah. Um,
0: I think we can pivot maybe towards, you know, Jaden McDaniels. He kind of made, um, you know, headlines in that Boston game with how well he guarded Tatum, a lot of his teammates really supporting him um, after that game and and just the comments about how, you know, they're trying to ISO him down the stretch of games, but, you know, they weren't getting good shots. He really made Tatum, Jason Tatum work that game, and then also dropped, you know, 20 points of his own. Um, What have you liked from him so far? From who, I'm sorry? Jaden McDaniels.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing with Jaden is like, uh, you know, he's still just committing some of these silly fouls that I think he's got to get out of his game and that's really been the only downside of his game so far but but from what I've liked I, you know I really like the way that he has been completely unafraid to catch the ball and and take three or four dribbles in or kind of isolate against a, a smaller defender and just elevate over them in the mid-range you know that, that was a really good shot for him last season um, he's continuing to to shoot the ball really really well this season so far um, and, and I think you know he, he's a guy that's that's way too talented offensively to just Um, you know, shoot, catch, and shoot corner threes. Um, And and I think the Timberwolves have been really smart about the way that they've, you know, tried to, you know, add layers to his game on top of that foundation. Um, And they've done it in a really, you know, slow, controlled way, which I think has been really smart because you don't want to try to have him be, you know, get like 1% better at 20 different things. You'd rather really focus in on two or three things that he can really get, you know, 10 or 15% better at. And then, you know kind of build out from there and and like I said one of those things has been being able to to play off the catch and isolate mid-range and that's been been huge and, and he's one of the best transition players in the league his touch around the rim transition is just phenomenal Um, and so that's been a huge huge weapon because if if he can contest and release off of three-point shots when if he's guarding like a Steph Curry or Trey Young um you know a player like that that's going to take a lot of deeper threes um and he can get out in transition that Tim rules can throw outlet passes um out there that's going to be a really important thing for them um especially with some of the struggles they've had in the half court offense but um with his screen navigation like I I've I've not seen an NBA player that that does it better than he does um you know and I think he he obviously has this built-in advantage of it's easier for him to recover because he's seven feet tall and has this you know, gargantuan wingspan. Um, But, you know, the other thing is that is I think with how tall he is, it creates some of these screening angles that are really awkward for opposing bigs where, you know, I think, you know, if if someone's hip is going into kind of like someone's rib cage, it's obviously harder to get around that. If you're a smaller guard, you know, trying to go against like a, a Jonas Valanciunas last night, but because of where McDaniels is, it doesn't hit him as hard. Um, and he's just kind of able to continue to fight through a screen and have it take less, or you know, have it be a less of a wear and tear situation on him, which I think is something that that people don't really talk about, but is something that you know that I notice and you know you pick up on from from talking to a guy like Mike Conley in the locker room, and that like you ask him what's the, you know, what's the hardest thing about you know being an old guy in the NBA, and he'll tell you like like getting screened and fighting over screens, like these guys are you know, built like brick houses. And it's just hard to take a screen and fall down or fight around it. And the way that he's able to just kind of glide around them um, with minimal contact uh, is just really, really special. Um, And, and obviously just his contesting in the mid range, you know, you see it, you go up, turn on Brandon Ingram shot attempts from last night. He started out all of four in um, McDaniel's hand was just right in his face on all four shots and makes it extremely tough for guys. So, um, you know, I, I think that the, the next step for McDaniel's is, is, you know, can he can consistently become a 20 points per game guy? Like if Ant is having a really off night, can you just say, yep, we are, we know we can scale Jaden up and we feel really confident in his ability to get you 20 points in a game. I don't know that the Timberwolves are there yet necessarily um, just because I think his confidence still has to grow a little bit on the offensive end of the floor. Um, you know, and I think the more that you'd be able to get him as like a handler and pick and roll, I think would be huge. um and, and I think you know that that that's kind of the tough part sometimes of playing with Kyle Anderson is that he's such a good like secondary initiator that Jaden kind of automatically becomes the third guy or the fourth guy even. um, and so I think the more that they can you know potentially get him in playmaking situations, I think the more that'll kind of help his confidence on that end grow a little bit. but you know, for for the role that they have him in right now, um, you obviously can't blame the Timberwolves because been really efficient and um and obviously is is you know been kind of a missing piece for this offense in terms of how he kind of connects things that you know you didn't really see when he missed those those first couple games.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jaden in that lineup, that start if you think about in terms of that starting lineup. Um, and Boston kind of took advantage of this, but th- that's the guy teams, you know, they'll stash their Kristaps Porzingis, their center. Um, so they can play that similar Rudy Gobert free safety role to, you know, go ahead and slide over and help out. And they put Drew Holiday on Cat, which actually worked pretty well. And then yeah. I don't know if you saw, but Drew Holiday guarded Joel Embiid mm-hmm. yesterday too. Um, but yeah, so Jaden's going to, you know, kind of get the weakest defender um, probably in, in a lot of in a lot of these, you know, main lineups teams are going to play. Um, and then you saw Brandon Ingram, like, you know, he was sagging off Jaden at times last game too. Um. So yeah, he, if he can develop into a guy, you know, who can score twenty points. I mean, it's just gonna be so hard to guard this team because, like, I mean, Gobert can't shoot, but Gobert, you, you're usually not spacing on the perimeter. He's usually rolling, and that that's his version of gravity. And then now, you know, you have Cat, Jaden, and Mike Conley around a, an Edwards-Gobert pick and roll. There's, I mean, very little people. There's really no one you can really come off of um, consistently and and be comfortable with uh, making making those like help those help rotations. Um, so yeah, if you can develop. Into that type of player moving forward. I think it um, wasn't yeah, a really
1: good spot. And I think the other thing we've seen from Jaden too, is like his growth is a cutter, especially off of post-ups and, you know, when Carl's kind of at the nail um, cutting off of, you know, situations like that or, or just knowing kind of when to collapse the backside of the defense with a slot cut too, is something that he's certainly capable of. Um, and that's something that I think we'll see more of depending on, you know what type of lineup he's in, especially if it's a more five-out lineup. I think that that's something that um, that he can really take advantage of too, um, which is a, a fun element of, of his game too. Yeah,
0: the only thing on offense I kind of want to see more of. I, I he he likes the jump shot a lot. I I want to see him get to the basket a little bit more, just him creating. Like he does have those cuts. Totally agree. Um, but yeah, he he doesn't always get to the basket. It might just because like handle wise, like it's just not it's kind of hard for him to you know that's being at that side I and mean, KD kind of has the same problem just like breaking a guy down getting to the basket it's gonna be a lot more pull-ups um, but if you can you know somehow figure out ways ways to get more high percentage shots that it's gonna actually bend the defense because i don't think defenses are really bending towards his you know mid-range pull they're just kind of they're kind of they're gonna kind of live with that um so yeah the for basket, sure
1: yeah it's like a take advantage of they're giving it to you so you might as well make it type of situation for sure yeah exactly
0: um Another young guy, you know, who just got an extension to Nas Reed. He's had a really, really strong start to this year. I thought talk, we talked to him about him earlier about him versus Kat in that, in that starting lineup. Um, What have you thought about, what were your kind of thoughts on Nas Reed to uh, start the season?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's been anyone outside of Gobert that has impressed me more um, so far this season than, than Nas Reed. Um, and, I think the biggest thing for me with Nas is defensively, right? You know, Nas has become a full-time four now, and he, he's played maybe ten minutes as a five this season through seven games. Um, and the way that he's been able to stay with bigger wings, like he guarded Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum for a handful of possessions here and there against that, you know, Celtics team and um and he held his own like he he wasn't getting crossed up and diced up and and scored on um and, and that's a huge win for the wolves i mean if you could even think about playing someone like nas read at the three and you could get away with that without you know him getting picked on defensively that opens up so many more options for this team in terms of lineups and what you want to do and in, in more of a playoff setting where you can kind of get funky and throw some different looks at teams and make it really really difficult for them and then you know, his three-point shooting obviously has been um, has been a huge thing for him. You know, last time I checked, I think it was entering yesterday, he was shooting something like 43% um, from three. I think he's still shooting 44% from three after last night. Um, and so that's another big thing from now. It's like his confidence has been night and day different from last year. And now talking to him in the locker room uh, after games, like he, he said on the record that, you know, he's like having a contract like you just have this confidence about you you know where you're not thinking about anything you're just letting it rip and and that's been huge for him I think you know, the way that the defenses has to space out to him and, and close out to him will only open up everything that he can do off the dribble which is obviously um, the best part of his offensive game and you know you alluded to it perfectly earlier when you said you know you don't have to run any plays for him um, there's not a single player on the Timberwolves that fits better in Chris Finch's read and react, you know, offensive system where everything they want to do is just kind of random. You know, it's this motion, um, you know, set screens, uh, you know, create off the dribble, get the ball swinging, you know, relocate, all those types of things. Um, Nasa is awesome. All of his decision-making is super quick, whether it's the right or wrong decision, which I think is exactly what what Finchie wants and, um, You know, and the way that he's really I I don't think there's anybody on this team, Edwards included, um, who is better at taking advantage of mismatches than Nasreed. It feels like every single time he's got a small on him in the post, he scores every single time he's got a slow big guarding him. He drives and scores Um, his just like his decision making and knowing how to change his game, if you will, whether it's all right, I'm going to focus on drives or I'm going to spot up or I'm going to really try to get out and transition based on who he's playing with is is a really important skill and um and there's a really interesting stat on on pbp pbpstats.com that kind of looks at you know how does a shot profile change when a certain players on the floor and the rate at which the timberwolves get shots at the rim or three point shots rises by like 10% um with nazreid on the floor um and like the next best timberwolf i think is like plus 3% Um, which just goes to show that like, when he's on the floor, you generate the right types of shots and and good shots, which is, which is really, really important, especially for a team that, um, you know, that has had its fair share of growing pains in the half court. And so I'm curious, like, where do you see Nas's best impact so far? You know, where do you think that, you know, this version of Nas can, can help this team the most offensively? Yeah. I mean, like you said,
0: with the quick decision-making just at that for position, I think that slots in perfectly with what, um, you know, what they want to do. And I also think he's in the in the perfect situation as well, because he's not he's not going to get the best defensive guy guarding. Him. But a lot of the times in a lot of lines, he's playing that defender is probably going to go to Cat or going to go. to you know, Anthony Edwards, because I think if a team really wanted to, like they really wanted to stop Nas, you put your strong wing defender because Nas isn't, isn't the biggest. Big, he's he's going to have a hard time like mashing someone in the post. His advantage is that a lot of the guys that are going to end up guarding him are probably overmatched in one way or another, um, so I think he's in a really good position right now um, to you know thrive in that um, thrive in that third that third big spot kind of. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think what else we can talk about. We talked, about, I think, all about the the main players. What about um, kind of the wolves, you know, depth pieces? I mean, you're looking at. I um, Jordan McLaughlin, you know, he's, he's out with injury now, but you know, Kyle Anderson, um, shake Milton. I think that's p- pretty much the mainstay of the, I don't think Troy Brown jr. Has played too much this year so far.
1: No, he hasn't. It's, it's really just been those nine guys um, with, you know, the ninth spot, either being Milton or, or McLaughlin, depending on the game. But, but with Kyle Anderson, I mean, you know, Tim Connolly said that, you know, during his uh, media day, availability said that kyle anderson was a godsend for this team last year um and he was exactly right you know he's had this natural uh chemistry with rudy gobert from day one um and just has a really good you know kind of understanding of how to get to a certain spot on the floor where the defense will you know kind of soften in spots that gobert likes the ball you know if you're snaking and pick and roll how can you kind of draw that dropping big up to you to open up the lob or or how can you you know, drive it to the baseline to a point where you can know they can get a drop off for Gobert at the rim for a dunk or, you know, how do you set up a screen so that you can create the most amount of space? It's like all those little types of things that, um, you know, playing with Gobert can afford you. He's very good at all of them, which is obviously really important for a team that was new to Gobert last year. But this year, you know, like I said, playing in that lineup with with Carl Anthony Towns at the five and Nasri at the four. He's he's had to play the three, which was a big change for him. And he he really struggled in the preseason. I think he would probably tell you that he didn't play the way he wanted to in the preseason. So it was kind of a question coming into the season of like, how would Kyle Anderson fit? And he's just been uh, essentially the backup point guard for this team in that I I think the Timberwolves have kind of learned and and Chris Finch admitted this um, you know, last night that it's easier to kind of get shake Milton going when he's not the primary initiator for the offense. And so when Shake Milton has been on the floor um, you know, I think they're going to now turn to Kyle Anderson to run all of that offense when Mike Conley or Anthony Edwards is not on the floor. Um, And he does such a good job of just kind of getting guys organized and knowing what play to call and and who needs the ball at a certain point in the game and how to exploit a certain matchup. and, And, you know, what action can we run you know, whether it's to get, you know, Nas read the ball on the block against a small or, you know, call Anthony Towns, the ball on the perimeter against a five, all those types of things. He thinks the game so well, Um, you know, and if you're an opposing coach too, with, with some of these lineups, you're like, well, we should probably try a zone against the Timberwolves, right. You know, try to screw up some of their spacing, you know, their problems in the offensive half court come when they don't move the ball very well. And they don't, you know, the players aren't moving around much And a zone can kind of help protect against that. And, the wolves have just thrown Kyle Anderson right in the middle of the zone, and he's done such a good job of of picking defenses apart every which way from the middle of the floor. Um, you know, whether it's a two two one hybrid we saw from the Jazz, you've seen straight two three from the Heat. Um, you know, it's it's been really fun to to kind of see him just dissect defenses uh, from the middle of the floor, whether it's against zone or man, um, playing in pick and roll handoff game. Um straight five out. Uh it's he, he can really play in any type of offensive half-court setting and um and has been a really important defensive piece too. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that obviously struggles a little bit against quicker, quicker guards. But when you're playing against, like you're saying, those types of bigger wings, when you need a a bigger wing defender, that's the type of guy you're talking about that could guard someone like Nas Reed. Um, he, he's just been so smart, um, knowing. You know when to help, when not to help, when to double, you know, when to when to make plays on the ball, um, and he's very good at at kind of crashing the defensive glass and then getting out and running with it himself. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I think Slomo has kind of been been honestly like the third or fourth most important player on this team so far, in the way that he just can kind of be the bridge between um, different two man pairings of like Nas and Cat or Nas and Gobert. Um, he just has such it's kind of like, you know, if if you have a friend, right, and and you have another friend, you have another friend and they're, people are in two separate groups and you kind of feel good about yourself for making two of your friends that didn't know each other friends. Um, you know, that's kind of the role that, that Kyle Anderson has played um, for this team. And, you know, I'm sure we've all had those situations. Right. Um, and now, you know, instead of just hanging out with one or the other, you can hang out with both of them at the same time. And that's kind of the luxury that 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 slow mo affords you, but but for Shake Milton, I mean, he's really struggled this season. Um, You can tell that he's just like not super confident what he's doing, Um, and and I think that his game fits really well with either Cat or Gobert. So you do have that luxury of, you know, it's not like you know Mike Conley where you really want to play him as much as you can with Gobert just because he's so good with Gobert. Um, and, And so I think the thing with Shake is, you know, the more that he can just kind of understand within the flow of the offense where he can attack and what spots, you know, he should, he should try to get his shots from. I think that's just the next thing for him. We saw him take a couple of corner threes last night and did a good job, um, you know, coming off of off ball screens and, and, you know, catching the ball and getting downhill um, where he's, he's really, you know, a talented scorer at the rim or, you know, good at, kind of getting to the baseline and kicking it to the opposite corner and stimulating some ball movement. So, you know, without Jordan McLaughlin for, for probably the next six to eight weeks or so um, his role is going to become shake Milton's role is going to become a lot more important. Um, It'll be really interesting to see, you know, how his, uh, you know, how his confidence can, can unlock some more parts of his game. You know, we saw a little bit last night where the Timberwolves definitely made a concerted effort to get him more involved in, in that first game without McLaughlin and try to pump up his tires a little bit. Um so so we'll see if that can that can kind of carry and sustain. But um, but yeah, I mean, him being six, five and having a seven foot wingspan is is a big upgrade on the defensive end from from McLaughlin, who's only five, you know five, ten, five, eleven um and is a total pest, you know, on the ball against you know some smaller guards, but you know, it struggles when when you want to try to switch and and that's what. Milton can can provide. So uh, the key for Milton is just going to be: can you stay in front of some of the quicker guards? And he's struggled to do that so far this season. But um but again, when you've got a backline defense like you've got, um you know, that's having one guy that that sometimes you know is a little bit prone to get beat off the dribble isn't necessarily the the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you know,
0: Shake Milton, he's kind of perfectly slotted in that ninth man role. Where I mean, he, of course, he's going to have his imperfections. Like you said, he's not the best defender and. Um, his confidence wanes a little bit in terms of scoring. You saw that when he was with Philadelphia as well. Um, But, you know, that's, he's a ninth man at the end of the day for
1: this team. Um, So. And his scoring too, is it, and when you look at his numbers as a starter versus off the bench in in Philadelphia were like night and day. Um, And, and it's, you know, just kind of goes to show it's like, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like a shooter in the sense where it's like, know, it's easier to kind of find a rhythm when you're getting five, six, seven, eight shots a game, as opposed to, you know, getting spot minutes and you're in for maybe six or seven minutes here and there and you get one or two shots. It's just, it's a different type of type of thing trying to find a rhythm, but and now hopefully being in a consistent role, that'll, that'll really help him moving forward. Yeah.
0: So speaking of, you know, six, five guards coming off the bench, the other guy we haven't talked about um, totally as Nikhil Alexander Walker. Um, he started off, you know, he started in the preseason when Jaden McDaniel was out um, and, you know, he. I think he's been a, you know pretty solid on the ball defense. Um, the one thing he does really well is he makes really good passes on the move, just like attacking closeout and just like one handed, like he'll just whip it to the corner or something like that. And you don't always get that from that. You know, like your eighth man the rotation. Um, I personally would like to see him try to maybe like, be a little bit more aggressive with his shot. I mean, he didn't score last night. He's been single digits pretty much. Um, you know, every game he's played in so far. Um, I mean, do you agree with that? Just like with him trying to make him, you know, be a little bit more aggressive looking for a shot?
1: Yeah, I think that part of the reason why he hasn't been is because he's been missing a lot of his spot-up threes. You know, I think he shot like 37 or 38% on spot-up threes, um, you know, after he was acquired from, uh, you know, from the Jazz last season. Um, and he didn't play much with Utah either. Um, And then went again and shot almost 40% on catch-and-shoot threes in the World Cup with Team Canada. And so you're thinking like, all right, like, this hopefully this one bankable skill that we'll have is spot up three point shooting, and so he really struggled shooting the ball in the preseason, and that carried over into the first couple of games where, um, you know he was you could kind of tell that he didn't have the same uh, confidence, and and you know the hesitation kind of started to creep in when he get the ball when he was open in the corner and the slot, um, and so then he kind of started to you know put the ball on the ground and take one or two dribbles without a plan, and then you know, pass it back out to the perimeter. And and that was just making the Timberwolves a lot easier to guard because he wasn't just, you know, confidently, you know, catching and either pump faking and getting on the drive to where you can be a creator on the move, like you're talking about, um, or just make threes. And he, and he wasn't doing that early in the year. And so I think that, that forced a lot of hesitation with him. And, and the offense's spacing got kind of messed up because teams left him alone, um, especially because he would play with Gobert. And so in that starting lineup, you'd have Gobert, you know a non non you know horizontal spacer and and you know alexander walker the same thing so then that made it even harder for Carl to drive and for ant to drive and and the Timberwolves just then were forced into a lot of tough mid-range shots. Um and so it was really good to see him knock down a couple of shots against the Celtics that were really really important um for his confidence I think and um and then you saw it last night you know teams started closing out on him again and he was throwing some crazy over-the-head, one-handed skip passes, and he's ambidextrous. So he can he can do that with either hand, which, which is even more rare. Uh, I think he had eight assists last night and two turnovers. So um, so his, his creation is important. He was a guy last year that really showed, you know, a chemistry with Gobert from his time in Utah that was important. Uh, but I agree with you. You know, you saw in the Nuggets game, like, you know, unlike a McDaniels, he was able to put the ball on the deck and get all the way to the rim. Um, which was really important is kind of some uh, pressure relieving scoring at times when you know Ant really needed some help or Carl really needed some help. He was able to provide that off the dribble, and so. Uh, but again, I think a lot of that has to do with your three-point shooting, right? You know, if teams are going to close out to you, it's a lot easier to to get by a guy and you know play in those five-on-four situations or um, get all the way to the rim before either shooting or, or playmaking for others, but. Um, yeah, the, the defense for him is never a question. Um, you know, if, if there's been plenty, like three or four really viral clips of Nikhil where it's just like, hey, watch what this guy does on this position. Just watch him the whole possession. Um, and and so that's the cool thing is he's one of those guys that no matter how he's playing offensively, he's never ever going to let it affect how he's playing on the other end, which is, you know, it's, it's a skill that not enough people in, in the NBA have.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we've had on pretty much their entire rotation. Now uh, I want to go, um, go back to some more big picture stuff with this team. Um, what do you think their path is to being a contender to, to win the finals? Wow. To win the yeah. final.
1: I mean, I'm just trying to win a playoffs <laughs> to, to start out. Um, yeah. I, I think that uh, in order for them to be a contender, they really have to unlock Carl Anthony Towns on offense. Um you know, and, and people want to talk about, you know, trading Carl. Um, and that, that's a that's a tough conversation for, for me just because, you know, we've talked about the Timberwolves rotation. The Timberwolves can't really make a trade where it's you trade Carl for four rotation, got three rotation, you know, a good young player, some trusted veteran rotation guys and picks. Like, they just don't have the roster and rotation space for that. And so, you know, what they really need is a, is a floor spacing second score that, you know, can play some defense, and that's what Carl can do. um and and you know I think that the the path for the wolves is is to be able to impose your size defensively um and and make it really difficult in the half court for opposing offenses. And they've done that so far. So I think obviously if they can continue that, that would be important. But Carl's an important part of that. Um you know, he's a really, really good rebounder. Um, and you know, if you want to do that free safety lurking thing that we've talked about, you know, a few different times like Carl being able to guard fives and being burly and big enough to do it is important because Nas Reed isn't that guy. Um, you know, you'd like to think that he can, but Carl's a lot better of an interior defender than Nas Reed is. Um, and so you know that's an option that you lose, especially when you think about you know having to deal with you know a guy like you know Nicole Jokic or Anthony Davis. Um, certainly are, are guys you'd have to see in the playoffs. You need that. So um but again, like being able to unlock Carl offensively and, and be able to have another 20, 23 points per game score behind Anthony Edwards is going to be really important. Um, and if they can't do that, then I just don't think that that they're going to be able to get out of the second round um, in the playoffs no matter how good their defense is, right? Because Ant can't do it alone. And and then, you know, from there, if Carl's only giving you 14, 15 points a game, you're going to be asking more of McDaniels and Mike Conley and, uh, and Nas Reed to score. And it's just like, you know, you, you kind of need that second star scoring. And, um, and it's not like Gobert is a guy that can just like take the ball and go get a bucket. Right. So, um, so I think a lot of the pressure is, is on, is on towns. But again, the, the other big thing that the Timberwolves have that a lot of teams in the Western conference do not have is elite depth. Like you can make the case, the Timberwolves are the deepest team in the Western conference among like teams that have a legit shot. And, um, and so I think being able to, to use that as an advantage, hopefully everyone will stay healthy, will be important as well. Um, and then again, like you have a home run hitter, you have two really, truly elite on ball defenders and Ant McDaniels, um, I should say Ant with a huge asterisk when he wants to, um, and you saw last, you know, in that Celtics game, he wanted to, and that's what he can do when he turns it on um and then obviously you know if gobert stays healthy and, and can continue to protect the rim and anchor this defense the way he has um they're gonna be really tough defense and it's not like defense doesn't matter you know i think a lot of times you know great offenses will generally beat great defenses but a great offense has a, a very average or suspect defense then you know it's it's not always going to be there so I, I think they can just make it tough on on some of the primary scores and uh, force the, force the game into the secondary scoring that, you know, some of these other Western conference teams have, whether it's you know, Jamal Murray, Kyrie Irving, um, you know, LeBron, force LeBron to be a scorer. Um, you now it's going to be important too. I mean, you think about you now, if you could force Bradley Beal to be a scorer, um, you know, that'd be, that'd be big too. Um, in some of those types of matchups.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I agree with the, your assessment that, Cat is kind of the key cog to, um, to all this because like, like I was talking about Nas, like he gets the guy that would probably would have shut down Nas, like he he draws that defender away from him, like, um, and then you look at look at that on the defensive end, um, I mean he's gonna have to be an important cog to the defense, like, cause I don't think they're you know their defense is obviously better than their offense, and if their defense is you know not the best in the NBA, like you know how their offense needs to be at a certain level, like there's a certain you know, there's a certain level that both sides need to to be on both sides of the ball for for them to, to be a contender. If we're talking about like at that highest level and you look at it, like Kat is kind of that guy that needs to, you know, um, he needs to be good on both ends of the floor. And he, and he hasn't been the best, uh, but hopefully, you know, as the season comes along, you know, um, he improves in that area. I want to talk a little bit about the, the whole contract situation. So correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, financially, it doesn't seem that feasible that they're going to be able to retain this group moving forward um what are your kind of thoughts on that whole um issue
1: yeah i mean you know it was reported that when Jane mcdaniel signed his contract extension that the timberwolves uh new ownership group of mark Laurie and alex rodriguez will you know assume majority control of the franchise likely at some point in early 2024 um so before the end of the season um that You know the Timberwolves won't be a tax team this year, but they will next year, Um, and they'll be a team that's that's very likely going to be over the second apron. You know, especially if Anthony Edwards makes All NBA this year. Um, And again, like you can be over the second apron, and if your ownership group is willing to to pay that, I mean, if you're at the second apron, your your tax bill is going to be like a minimum of thirty five million dollars. So if the ownership group is is willing to fit that bill, um, then they can keep this team together. Frankly, Um, you know they don't they don't need to use the mid level exception. to you know to sign some of these guys that they have um because they'll have they'll have the rights that they need to retain some of them um and you know you have mike Conley who's who's over 35 and so you get some some leeway with signing players players like that too but um yeah I, th- I think that uh long term like if you're if you're wanting to keep this exact groups together for like three or four years I think it's going to be a lot tougher but if you want to keep it together for this year and next year um and maybe the year after that then I think that's going to be more feasible but I think, you know, this new uh second apron and the team building consequences that come along with that are gonna be really interesting to see um how it affects you know mid-market teams like the Timberwolves on you know what their what their appetite truly is for going for it. Because I think trying to, you know, build a title contender and uh a sustainable title contender and stay under the second apron is just gonna be really, really hard unless you have a superstar player on a rookie contract. Um and it's just really, you know, you don't often see te- teams that that fit that criteria anymore. Um, and so, I mean, you look around at some of the other contenders, like Boston is going to be over the second apron. Um, you know, Milwaukee is certainly, you know, a team that, that is trending that way. Uh, the Clippers are way over. Um, the Suns are way over. They're all in. The Lakers are going to be all in. I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think how many teams are, quote unquote, going for it. Um, and the Warriors too, like, it, it's just going to be next to impossible to truly build like a sustainable title contender um, without pl- flirting with that. And your ownership group needs to be fully on board. Um, and, and, you know, the Timberwolves front office is signaled that they are through some of the moves that they've made. Um, but again, like Tim Connolly is a guy that, you know, we've seen him kind of wait until the last possible moment to make moves. Like he traded D'Angelo Russell at the last minute, even though a lot of people thought that, yeah, you know, people were, or a lot of people thought that he was going to get traded last summer. Conley waited until the 11th hour and dealt him, you know, at the trade deadline um, and got it, you know, and that trade looks incredible for the Timberwolves at this point because they also got, you know, you pretty much also get Nikhil Alexander Walker and Leonard Miller out of that deal as well. Um, so it, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out, but I think again, like it's kind of put up or shut up. Like if if you want, if you want to keep this team together and you're Tim Connolly and, and the ownership group is probably saying, like, hey, like this team has to prove to me that it's worth me paying, you know, 35, 40, 45 million dollars in in excess in tax money, um, you know, just to keep it together. And like if this team, I think, gets to like the Western Conference finals or you know, gets to the second round and loses in like a six or seven game series, it's really competitive. I think that there's an argument, like it's a better argument to be made. But you know, if you get bounced in the first round again, like, I really don't think that this team as presently constructed has a future. I think that you'd have to break it up in some capacity, whether that's moving, you know, Nas or Carl or Rudy or you know whoever. Um it's just it's just kind of the reality of of the situation.
0: Yeah, there, there is definitely that element of this year, they kind of need to prove it. They can't really have the, you know, the the more the um morale victory we almost beat or we were the toughest competition for the number one seed. Like they're good without two
1: key players. Yeah. Shoulda,
0: woulda, coulda. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So there there is that element of prove it this year. Um, I think we can wrap it up here. Jack do you have any more last thoughts you want to share about anything Timberwolves related?
1: Yeah, I I think we covered pretty much all of it. Um, I I think that, you know, the the fact that the Timberwolves are winning games right now and it is really important because I think if they would have started, you know, Two and five instead of five and two or three and three and five or something like that. Then you start like the financial ramifications of everything starts to get louder and louder and louder. And it's like, hey, well, remember that this Timberwolves team can't really stay together, but you don't really hear that if the team is winning and they're doing their part um to kind of quiet that that potential noise, which I think has been really important and it'll help help everyone on this team kind of stay focused. Cause I think the last thing that you know, some good vibes that we're seeing from this team need right now are some. You know, some kind of external financial financial pressure that could, you know, induce some some roster changes. Um, so it's it's fun to have seen this team win, and it's been fun to see the fan base kind of throw their arms around a a winning Timberwolves team because they've really only seen that a, a couple of times here in the last you know fifteen years or so, which has been has been kind of crazy, but but makes it all the more fun when uh, when you get off to starts like this.
0: Yeah, definitely. This should be an exciting year for sure. For more coverage on the Minnesota Timberwolves, check out Canis Hoopus. Where once again, you know, Jack's the editor. Um, I'm a staff writer for the website as well, so check that out for sure. Uh, Jack, where can also people find uh, you know your account where where you po- post your work?
1: Yeah, yeah. I post everything on Twitter at jrborman13. That's jrborman13. Um, there, and then I'm also doing some podcasting stuff for for Locked On Minnesota um so go live after after every single timberwolves road game i i do personally and then select home games when i'm not uh covering in person at target center um and, and our our friend tyler metcalf also does a does a great job on the, the lockdown minnesota postcast when uh, when i'm not there as well so uh, it's been been a lot of fun so far this season and, and hopefully we'll continue to get even better with, with more wins and more content.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, for our listeners, make sure to follow us at, at BeyondTheArk8 on Twitter and make sure to follow us, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening.